As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and order is restored. That's because JJ Bull joins me now as a guest rather than the host of this podcast. Hi, JJ Bull. How are you? I'm really good, Joe. And you know why? Why is that? Because I uh, am the champion of mm. foot golf between you and I. Because mm. I won the game of foot golf mm. in lovely Barnet. Yeah. Well, we'll discuss that more later because I feel like there's some discussions to be had about that. Not not saying that you didn't win, but we will talk about how you won. Because I, you know, what happened before the game began was very, uh, was very wrong indeed. But not now, because for now I need to welcome uh, Seb Stafford Bloor all the way from Germany. Ah, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Guten Tag, Herr Devine. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am also well. Thank you for having me. Do you know what I'd do if you came here? Would you try to play and football? Me? Yeah. Well, it works better if you don't. <laughs> Just don't wait one. Let me do that again. <laughs> I know people don't know this is the second time round. Oh, you know what? Let's just... The order was restored. I thought it was too, but it hasn't been. Anyway, today we're going to talk about uh, Mason Greenwood. Very exciting. A bit on Van der Beek, the Arsenal project, whatever that is. JJ talks about Billy Gilmore again. Big surprise there. Rash conclusions later about the Premier League. Mm, Yes, rations of conclusions. And uh, Brazil versus Argentina. A little bit about the amusing... Uh, events that occurred in that game. Uh, But you know where else things occur in that game? It's the athletic. The athletic occurs on a daily basis. And you know, goodness me, there are so many incredible things that are released on the athletic on a daily basis from all the clubs. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm wheezing. From all the clubs that are um, associated with the Premier League, you've got uh, big writers such as David Ornstein, Amy Lawrence, you've got Daniel Taylor and others uh, who are writing phenomenal pieces on a daily basis. And at the moment, you can get a 30-day free trial to try it for free for 30 days. That's what that means, a 30-day free trial to try it for free for 30 days. You don't even have to pay any money. And if you don't like it, just cancel. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, you will like it, and it does matter. But, you know, it doesn't really. What? Nothing matters except The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And thanking you. Now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool, cool, cool embrace 
of Dr. Joe Devine. Doctor? <laughs> to begin other than, I mean, there's plenty of other places. This doesn't really make any sense that we begin with this, but I want to because I've watched uh, Manchester United play football this season so far, as I'm sure, uh, Seb, you have and JJ, you have too. And the the one player that's uh, stuck out to me very much so is Mason Greenwood. I know that I knew, Seb, that he was good. And I know that nothing that he's done really so far this season is anything different to what he's done before. But for some reason, new season, new beginnings, he's scored a goal every game so far. Uh, the angles at which he, he scored. I think he's amazing. Is he one of the best young players in the world? He, he, could, could we consider him potentially to be at the level of some of the other names that we discuss? For sure. But tell me, when was the first time you thought he was amazing? Tell me. When did it strike you? Because you're not a man that's easily impressed by things. So No, it would have been last season at some point, And it would have been the second or third time he scored exactly the same goal, which is the kind of cut across the keeper but not the curvy goal, the straight arrow goal, the goal that the ball is hit so hard that the keeper has absolutely no chance of getting it and also that it almost always grazes the inside of the the far post on its way in. I think when he repeated that two or three times and I realised that that wasn't a fluke and he did it on the other side of the goal with his opposite foot and it wasn't a fluke, it was sort of that moment where I realised we have something on our hands here. Yeah, I, I suppose Manchester United fans won't like this, but the player he reminds me of is actually Robbie Fowler, just in terms of being quite two-footed and also striking the ball really purely. Mm. At the moment, when, when, a, when a player first emerges, before it becomes about, oh, where does he fit in and what's he going to become and where will he be in five years and how many young caps will he win? There's that little period where you just enjoy him for his talent. And Greenwood's kind of in that period now where he is an important player at Man United, but he's not so essential to what they do that we have to worry ourselves by more than with more than just the aesthetics. So you just admire how cleanly he hits the ball, how quickly he releases his shots as well. It's really interesting. Very little back lift, um, very quick to strike through loads of power. And you're right, like it always seems to find the right part of the net. And um, that's the parallel with Fowler for me because there's a bit in his autobiography, which shamefully I'll admit to having read, in which he's asked, I think, by... I think it's Steve McManaman. He says, oh, you know, how, how is it that you always manage to find the side netting? And, you know, what, why, why, where, where do you, at what point do you look at the goalkeeper and position shots? And he's like, oh, I don't really know. I just hit it and it goes in. So it's like, it's not, <laughs> but it's, it, within that lies something kind of instructive because it, it, it describes a sort of an instinct. It's an unthinking ability to do that. And that's quite exciting in a young player. Well, you said there that he's not... Um so necessary to Manchester United that it matters. I think I understand what you're saying and I I agree with that. I think that would have been a very good way to sum up last season. But actually this season so far, and it's only been three games, so it's a very small sample size, but he's been extremely necessary. He has been, but I I think I'm basing this on what I expect to happen next. Like, yes, for the first couple of games, but he's going to lose his place now. Um, So, which is a a shame. Um, And holy on Why does he lose his place? What's that? Why does he lose his place? Probably because Cristiano Ronaldo dropped straight into the side. 
Um, yeah, but why does that mean Greenwood loses out? Presumably it means Cavani sits on the bench, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't have thought so because I, I think long-term, Sancho will probably play from the right. When he's fit, Rashford will play from the left and then you'll have Ronaldo going through the middle. Yes, in the interim before Rashford, not sure what his return date is, I think October, but mm, he's going to yeah. probably be the one to give way, um, unfortunately. <laughs> or I suspect at some point, Fernandez might drop into the left to, to accommodate sort of, um, I don't know, to, to kind of, possibly alleviate some of the problems that Fernandez and Ronaldo seem to have for Portugal, which is a really weird thing, which I need to have explained to me properly, but they can't yeah. seem to play together. So yeah, maybe we can have a look at that over the next Yeah, it'd be games. interesting. But I I see him as the main casualty of this short term, but at the moment. Interesting. Yeah. I hope not. No, yeah, me too. But I, I enjoy watching him. Um, JJ, tell me what he's good at. The accuracy of his shooting, I think, is the first thing that I noticed with him. He knew about Greenwood for a little while from Football Manager, because he was always one of the highly rated players that would come through. Was he? Was he someone that would turn into a superstar? He was or? a, a wonder kid. A wunderkind. Yeah. Uh, just really high um, high ceiling potential. So it was thought of that he'd go on to be a really special player, and coaches within Manchester United also thought he was going to be one of the special ones that came out. Like always earmarked as being one that would be a future star. But he's complaining their wing because he's completely two-footed, that's the other thing, completely two-footed to the point that doesn't, he can take set pieces with either foot and he doesn't even know which is stronger is, he said that. Yeah, coaches have been unable to identify that too, right? Yeah, because there's no real difference in it. It's, it's the stunning accuracy, but also the power he gets on it with the minimal backlift that we're seeing. His movement is really, really good, especially for how young he is. And he can play off either side. And an opinion that I have formed completely of my own is it reminds me a little bit of Robin Van Persie, yeah. the way that he plays... Uh, and comes off the maybe the right side onto his left foot. So, yeah, I agree that Sancho will probably be there, but I think that's one of the things United have done with the squad building is that they're trying to build a team that can change from game to game even. So it doesn't matter so much that you'd have a starting place. No one should have a guaranteed starting place in the, st the first 11, which is what it's been for so long. So in theory, they can take players out to give them a rest because they'll be playing two games a week at some point soon. So, you know, three games every eight days at some points. Yeah. So it's important to have players that you can just take in so they're not playing that many games to keep them all, uh, to use another manager reference, at 100% fitness because then you get your best performances. I think that was a thing before, football manager. The well, they're not literally with numbers though. Like, they don't, sure, no, they no, don't sure. come in with numbers above their head. Well, Unless you see that. Like um, in the way that some people see... Um, uh, aliens. Yes, and colours. Like they see music like as colours. Like a bar from Pro Evolution Soccer every time yes. they takes a shot. Yeah. That's what I see, yeah. yeah. I believe that Kanye West sees colours, doesn't he? Got synesthesia, that was called? Synesthesia, yeah. yes. Very exciting. Uh, he's a, you can, like, well, the other thing I would say about uh, having watched him in three games so far this season is I'm sold on him as a number nine as well, right? Yeah, well then, I don't think he's, he's a different player completely to what Cavani is and what Ronaldo is. Uh, but that, that finish, was it against Leeds where he tucked it in? Yeah. from the, I mean, that's like stunning, but he can do that. He's not big enough to really do the hold-up play you want him to do. Not necessarily you don't need to be big for that, but I think it definitely helps, especially in the Premier League. He is also only 19. I mean, in fact, uh, one of the things I was going to start this segment was, was saying I read Carl uh, Anker's piece on Manchester United's transfer uh, window the other day in The Athletic. And even though I knew his age, uh, I was still surprised to read that by the time that Ronaldo's new Manchester United contract expires at Manchester United... Uh, Mason Greenwood will only be 21 years old, so an opportunity to bulk out, perhaps. Well, that's how you can tell the level he's at and where he can get to. If he's so he's 19 now, right? If you look at any of the like top tier players like, like Ramos or Kroos or Modric, like the top tier ones that have played football for this however long now, 
they tend to have always been starting um, games for big clubs or any club actually it doesn't really matter but they always tend to be playing at that young age and when clubs are scouting for young players regardless of level of league they'll often look to uh, players who are playing at a young age how many minutes they're getting and, and how they're not necessarily their output numbers but what they are if they're just playing there's obviously a reason for that they've got the mentality that can handle it and one of the most important things in football is a player's mentality whether they can handle that that jump up but then obviously you've got to work out whether like the boy Josh Doy get Hibs in Scotland because he's playing so young people are looking at him he won the young player of the season award so there's Premier League clubs looking at buying him but they'll look at him and see well there are probably better players around at the same age but he's well, sorry a bit older than him who are better but because he's so young and playing so much he might have something about him that could mean he goes on to be better than the rest of them because they've got that that winning mentality that you kind of want to have or yeah. to be able to do that and Greenwood's good enough to break into the team when he was 17 and was already scoring goals. But it, it's his, his all-round play. He's clearly a great player. His first touch is excellent. His movement is good. He doesn't... The first times I saw him play, you could tell immediately that he belongs at that level. Yeah. Like he, he can start at Premier League level. He doesn't I mean, they have to go and play in Croatia or Turkey like a lot of players did before they get onto the higher levels. And um, I, I, I wonder whether he's going to be... There's times... Because I think he had that dip last season. He had all that extracurricular activity stuff that he went through that maybe um, threw him off a bit, give him a bit of a confidence knock. In fact, this is another thing that might be interesting to sort of add loads of points to it, is that he's really good now because he's young and has the youthful exuberance and confidence that you get from being young and just new to this whole situation. But when he starts to have maybe a few things where it's not going for him and he's he drops off a of form and he needs to, uh, like he just has a drop in confidence and then he things don't go the way he wants it to. How does he then deal with that? But he may already have had that at a young age, which should mean he's got a longer... I was going to say, JJ, I feel like that's already passed. Like he's already, he had that very high-profile issue with the England team. And that must have been really, really difficult for a young player. He's still a teenager and it's kind of supposed to be your first real chance at international level and you you miss out or you, you, are, um, you return home as a result of something like that. That is... Given all the things that get said as a result of something like that, I feel like that's something that if you come through as a young player, and you're right, like he, he had a little bit of a drop off and there was some rebalancing going on in the background. But as John mentioned, like the way he started the season, it feels like that's been processed and dealt with and he's adapted to the space that he now exists in within the kind of the football sphere. And that's really encouraging. Well, one more question for you on this set before we move on then. Um, I remember when Rashford broke through into the Man United team and, you know, scored a scored a brace, I think, on his debut, or, uh, certainly early on. The expectations for him, you know, given the size and the, the, of the club and the scale of the fan base, the expectations are always the same, which is that this player could be the best player in the world. Maybe that's where they'll end up being. And ordinarily, they find a sort of spot on the ladder below that and above rubbish <laughs> in the middle. Can they play good at good football is what I'm saying. How can you judge with Mason Greenwood, for example, because uh, Rashford, uh, it's not clear whether he's kind of reached his plateau yet. Or he's reached a, you know, the point of this game where he's as, as maybe as good as he's going to be or maybe he's still going to improve. He's at the age where he could do that um, better than some people thought he might be not as good as others. With Greenwood, the expectations feel a little bit higher, don't they? Yeah, it's also it's interesting to recognise the differences between their, their ascension into the first team because... Whilst people at Manchester United and Man United fans had heard of Marcus Rashford before he had that ridiculous week where he scored, I think he scored a couple of goals in the Europa League, then a, then a brace against Arsenal, yeah. live on, on Super Sunday or something, some sort of four o'clock fixture. Greenwood a bit different because I think most people had heard of Greenwood, whether they were supporting Man United or not. 
And I don't think, I think Marcus Rashford's an excellent player. Like he's, he's does a lot of things really well, scores good goals, scores important goals. I don't think there's ever been a case for saying that he might become among the very best players in the world. He's just going to be a very good to excellent player. Greenwood is different because I think he has a little bit more um, the sort of fun uncertainty that you get with really talented footballers who could be pretty much everything that they want to be. Um, and there is no, at this point in his in his, in his his career, there's no obvious ceiling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah, we yeah. don't even really know what his best position is. Like JJ explained it, like he does so many things well that you could, depending on who's playing around, you could probably fit him into most parts of a front three or even a, a two potentially if he was playing 20 years ago. But as a result, without that definition, you just get a kind of, he's what you want him to be. He's like part of your imagination in many ways. So it's kind of, there's no need to define him yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's uh, let's uh, one more on Manchester United before we leave the club behind. A little bit on Van der Beek from this morning because um, his agent was reported in the news as uh, confirming the Everton talks that they did take place, and also he said that the arrival of Ronaldo was bad news for Van der Beek. Seb, not sure I completely understand that. What do you make of it? What does bad news mean to you? I suppose. I mean, the implication is that it makes him an even less likely starter in the Man United side, but I don't necessarily see how those That's possible. <laughs> pieces fall, really, with Ronaldo. But what I will say is... He said, uh, he's, I think he said it was because Pogba would be another midfield player now because there wouldn't be space for him on the left, which is where he started the season. Yeah, I still don't think Ronaldo is van der Beek's problem. I think there's something, there's something amiss there, isn't there? Because he's gone from being someone who pretty much everyone from Real Madrid downwards were interested in to it doesn't even seem to pique Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's interest it's really odd I mean well, then why, seems... why would you assume then that he like so the, the news suggests that um uh well um Everton were interested there were talks ongoing but then Solskjaer called Van der Beek's agent on deadline day and says you can't go why would he block a move well I, I suppose if you're Solskjaer you're thinking towards Right, we're Manchester United, we're going to be involved in multiple competitions and it's not the season really for Manchester United or Solskjaer to uh, prioritise cup competitions He needs uh, or prioritise league over cup competitions or um, you know, Champions League over um, league cups because he needs to win something. So mm-hmm. perhaps he's thinking, I can do with all the resources I need. Yeah, maybe not the time to sell another midfielder. Yeah, because if you were to lose Fernandes or Pogba, then the drop-off is pretty severe, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Fernandez especially. And whilst obviously Van der Beek isn't the equal of either of those, it's quite nice if you have a £40 million midfielder who's just sitting around fresh and ready yeah. to come into your season. And I suppose from a head coach's perspective, it's not your problem that the, uh, that's not an ideal situation for a player. He's contracted to May United. It's not said I have sympathy for Van der Beek, but it's self-just purview to just say, well, okay, well, my squad is my priority. And... Um, I wouldn't say that Everton and Manchester United are rivals, but why would you why would you impose a great workload on your squad for the sake of giving him game time at a let's call them a near rival, yeah. a, a team likely to finish in the top eight at least? So it's um it's strange. I've never really even from the moment he arrived, I, it always felt as if there was something else to that story. Manchester United didn't quite get another player that they might have wanted. So let's let's sign someone and mm. let's sign someone for a decent amount of money. And he's available and Ajax are ready to cash in. So let's do it now. And, you know, to hell with what we do with him afterwards. It's 
It's a bit of a mess. Everton in the top eight. I think Seb has started the rash conclusions portion of the podcast early. I've jumped yeah. right ahead. Big yeah, time. I know. What do you I know. what do you think about this situation in two minutes or less? Two minutes. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's a stylistic issue. And I think that Van der Beek was clearly he was brilliant at Ajax. I saw him play live and thought he was honestly amazing. And the thing you have with Man United is that they want to go from back to front very quickly. So they want to play vertical football. That's like me when I'm in a queue at the adventure park. And Ajax don't play like that. They play a short, tappy pass and move football. The juego to position. Is that what you say it? I don't know. But, you know, they want to build in that kind of 4-3-3 where everything goes through lines, lots and lots of short passes, pass and move football. And Van de Beek, when you'll see him play... Is, there's, I think there's a reason he's tended to play mostly in European games, especially Champions League in his first season, and then he played the Europa, well, Europa League games as well, and didn't really get into Premier League much. In the summer, he's got really super ripped. He's got bulked up so he can be better prepared for the English game because it's a bit more physical. But what I think I notice when he plays for Man United is that he comes on, he'll drop deep to get the ball, he'll look up, not have... Uh, what you maybe want is Bruno Fernandes as an example to, to contrast him with. Fernandes gets the ball anywhere in the pitch and the first thing he does is he pings it forward. He just pings it, ping, 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 ping. Or he just, it always goes forward. And it, even if he gives the ball away, it doesn't matter. Van der Beek, his whole philosophy in life is to keep the ball. Like, it never goes away anywhere. So he'll get it. If that ball looks a bit risky, he'll play the short pass. Then he'll move to get the return pass. But it doesn't come. Because that ball then gets moved forward. So rather than making a five-yard pass, they'll make a 20-yard pass to get the ball up the pitch to like a fullback or something. So Van der Beek expecting the ball to get back to him in a position where he can then help progress that play doesn't get it. So the play just continues with Man United going forward and he looks kind of lost in the system because he's not really affecting play at all. A bit like me when I'm in the queue at the adventure park. Yeah? And so the thing is that uh, when he plays in Europe in Champions League games, it's a lot more, it's a different kind of, it's a bit slower basically. It's a bit slower so he has more time on the ball and he can help control possession of the, uh, of the game so that they don't give the ball away and get counterattacked and destroyed. A bit like you in the supermarket? <laughs> no, no, no. I've gone past two minutes. But I think it's interesting because they signed him because he's a brilliant player, but he doesn't really suit the way that United play. But I think he should adapt. There's nothing wrong with what, the way he plays, but he needs to be able to affect the game more and be able to make those, rather than fire the ball forward by passing it, he can carry it because he did that at Ajax. Yeah. And he could 100% play in a three. I think he could play in a two as well. Um, as a you know, a six eight hybrid type thing, um, and he hasn't quite. I don't think he's ever taken his chance when he's got it. But I understand why that is because he he often will go into space to allow others to play. So it looks like he's doing not very much and isn't in the game. He's described as going missing all the time. But I think actually he's filling in spaces where he's affecting play in other ways off the ball. No, I noticed that when he first arrived, I found that uh, particularly when United were chasing uh, chasing a result. He was almost always like about to break the line at the at the front. Uh, he was always in good positions. No one ever passed him the ball. It was weird. It was weird. It felt like they were deliberate. I'm not saying that they were, but it seemed almost as though they were deliberately not passing him the ball. And then something strange happened with Solskjaer a couple of weeks ago where after McTominay's um, surgery was announced and we knew that there was going to be a, a sort of stay uh, on the injury on the sidelines for him, Solskjaer gave a press conference where he was asked if Van der Beek could play in a two and he said yes, absolutely. And then he picked Matic and then he picked Pogba. And then you think, well, 
how what is this like a deliberate campaign where you're saying like yeah he can play there but by the way based on my actions i rate him so low as though he almost doesn't exist and that's the end of that bit now listen there's a break now and you better enjoy that and come back whatever they sell you in the break you go out there and buy it because it helps me looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now we're back from the break. International football. Only if you consider players from different countries playing at Arsenal to be international football. Yes? I feel it worked. It's okay. Yeah. Well, listen, something interesting happened last week with Arsenal. That, and that's the uh, technical director, Edu, gave a, uh, an interview to Sky Sports in which he kind of essentially d- defended Arsenal's transfer policy. Um, of course, that policy this summer saw the introduction of six players, 23 or under, including, not including, in total, Ben White, Martin Erdegaard, Aaron Ramsdale, uh, Samba Konga, Takahiro Tomiyasu, and Nuno Tavares, which is quite nice, actually, when you read it all in one go like that, isn't it? You think, cool, that's cool. Uh, and uh, as I said, Edu spoke to Sky Sports to defend the policy, and then I read an interesting piece on The Athletic, written by Amy Lawrence-Seb, who said, very fairly, I thought, uh, that convincing Arsenal fans to back youth was extremely easy because they've always done that, and that, I think, is very reasonable. Um, It's more that convincing them (laughs) that the senior players, who are supposed to be the steady hand, you know, to guide those younger players, are any good. And I think that was a very fair and sensible point, and I put it to you now. You put that point to me now to argue with the the very fair point that we all agree with. You want me to argue with? No, not not to not to argue with. <laughs> just to just to just to talk around. No, it's very fair because if you think about the issues in Arsenal's season to this point, I wouldn't say that anybody has covered themselves in glory. But the the high points, the good moments, have generally come from the younger players. The sort of mm. the the oh that might be quite good in six months' time. If you think about. Yeah. Granit Xhaka's red card, that is not what you'd expect of, not a veteran player, but a senior player within a group of younger developing professionals. The one thing I'll say is that you're right, Arsenal have been down this path before and faith in youth was um, a hallmark of, of the club's strategy in the past, but it always held a slightly illusory promise because Arsenal would always play, if you think back to the kind of the classic young Wenger teams, post-Invincibles, mm. of course, when he was sort of... Uh, I think of it more of the kind of a, as a Seth Fabregas era. Um, and you think of players like Denilson in there. And it always promised a little bit more than it actually delivered. So you can you can forgive people for being a little... for having some reservations. That's the thing with a team full of young players, though, isn't it? I mean, you look back to the conversation we were just having about um, about Greenwood. The expectation is always higher than the reality. And if, you, if your sort of team recruitment strategy is based on youth, the expectation is always that maybe they'll be the best team that's ever played, and then they're not. <laughs> and then you, you know, then it's, you're less happy. It's something to hold on to and to grasp. But I, I wonder though, because it's, a, it's fine to have all of these young players and to 
to buy into their potential. At the same time, if you were an Arsenal fan, I think over the past couple of years, you would have been drowned in rhetoric a little bit and reorganization. And we're doing this differently and we're streamlining this department and we're using uh, this employee to do this. And there was a very good article by James McNicholas on The Athletic, another plug, uh, in which he talked about Arsenal's, it's called something like a football intelligence department. And it's all great. It's all fine. You, all these football clubs should have things like this. It's just that with Arsenal, it feels like every three months there's an update to this stuff and there's somebody new doing something different and this is going to be the answer to everything. And and it's it's interesting from a kind of a journalistic perspective, from a fan's perspective. We all love reading about this stuff and it is. It's fascinating. But unless it actually delivers something, as a fan, you can't be expected to be seduced by it. You have to see a, a result. And and also, let's be fair, like we, we have a go at Arsenal fans for being hysterical and for throwing tantrums, and they do a, a lot of that, for, for sure. But there's nothing worse than going to an international break, having lost three games in a row, having not scored mm. a goal. Mm-hmm. That's a long 13 That's days bad. to put up with. Well, let's put it to our own football intelligence department now. <laughs> uh, Don, the videographer, oh, he's not mic'd up right now, sorry. We'll ask JJ instead. Uh, JJ, this is a good transfer, Wendy. When you read the names of those six players, 23 or under, that's a good that's a good window, isn't it? I, I excite by the window. I think the whole thing they've done is like, again, in Football Manager, when you sign a load of wonder kids who are five-star potential, but you don't know exactly because it's like three gold stars and two silver, so you think it's five, and they all turn out to be three and a halves. And uh, what they've done is built a squad that's going to be good enough to challenge Everton in about three years. Oh, wow, okay. You really, you really are not on the same page as me. I think they've made an enormous mess of it. I think, and I said it at the time, Arsene Wenger leaving was a mistake. A mistake. A mistake. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this is the thing. So this is the thing. Wenger's Arsenal. The, the Arsenal they didn't want anymore. Get Wenger out, they said, because they, <laughs> that's what they did. On the streets, I heard them all. They were always talking about how the, the team's only competing for fourth. And uh, that's all they could ever do. And this, they wanted the, the players in that can make the big difference now. The same problem they had then. There's no water carrier or leader back then who's taking them anywhere. Xhaka getting sent off. And it's relevant to these young players coming in. Xhaka getting sent off as someone who was the captain who then, like, what do you swear at the fans or something like that? Mm-hmm. Should have been out of the club. Should have, should have gone, right? Whatever it was he did. You can't then put him back in. He took his shirt off, right, and threw it down, I think. You can't do that. You can't do that, yeah. And then he, uh, what did he also do? He then tried to leave, wanted to go away. They almost sold him, didn't do it. And then he was captain again the next week and he got sent off. Yeah. And uh, that is the kind of thing, like, who is then going to, like, bollock him for that? Who's going to say, like, you've, you've let us down? You're going to have a Bamiyang as a captain be like, hey, don't do that. That's not, that's not nice. That's not cool. That's what I think he would say. He's <laughs> from Holland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's not gonna, it's not going to be that he's going to get, I don't know why I want this to be the case, but there's, like, three men who lock the door and then beat him up. <laughs> Xhaka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's imagine imagine uh, the old school of like Keo and Adams and that right and Vieira. The Athletic does not condone uh, JJ's violent fantasy. But this is the thing: they're bringing all these young players, and the standards that are being set are so loose. Like if you bring new employees into anywhere, and there's no set like that. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. This is the standard you're supposed to be at. Then these young guys, like Lekonga is a good player. Ben, <laughs> ben, ben White's a really good young player. Odegaard's a young player. Ramsdale's a good player. Tommy Asu's a good player. Right? Are they going to reach the heights? I don't know, because there's no one there that's telling them exactly what to do, apart from Arteta, who is already under an immense amount of pressure, who's been asked, asking for time for him, which he clearly doesn't have, because in three years' time, they're going to see that they've 
fallen from the constant fourth of Wenger, other teams got a lot better very quickly, and so now there was no set fourth place for them, and they've fallen away. And So Edu said in his interview, they didn't have the base to build, build from in the first place. So this is the whole point. They're signing these players now, even though they're reserves, only two of them, Odegaard and White, are meant to be first teamers. And so in about three years, that should be the base for the winning team. And then they'll sign one or two players a season, or two or three se- players a season. But by the time that happens, I mean, I might be totally wrong, but I don't think I am. They're not going to be able to buy the players that take them to the next level because no one wants to play for a team that doesn't even qualify for the Europa League. So just because Arsenal were massive for a long time, like this changes. Look at Liverpool fell away ages ago in the late 90s, whatever. Then they were mostly nothing. They won the Champions League in 2005. That was good, but never really challenged. They had a second once, and then Rodgers took them over later on and did second. But these, just because the teams were big for a while doesn't mean they always will be. And Arsenal really made a mess of what they were doing post-Wenger. And they're paying for it now. Wow. Scathing words there, Seb. What do you think? Well, one, one thing really stood out to me, I agree with JJ pretty much. Like the, the thing that stood out, me, stood out to me from that uh, Ado interview was it felt like a justification of his job performance rather than justification 100%. of the club strategy. Yeah. Because he said, there was a line in it, and let's be fair because he was speaking in a second language, but he did say, oh, well, my job is you know, to, to give Mikel the players that he needs. And it was a kind of, right, well, so that's where the line exists. And there was a point last season when, do you remember that horrendous run they went through when I think they lost four or five games in a row, when the uh, the TV camera panned to Edu in the crowd, or Edu in the non-crowd, in the stands, empty stands at the time, uh, shyly sort of forlornly shaking his head. And you just thought, what are you shaking your head at? You put this team on the pitch. I mean, you know, you are partly responsible for this performance and from the players who've come in. Not all of them, because some of them predate him, of course. But it just didn't, it didn't seem very convincing. It was a kind of, this is what's happened and, and that you know, this is what pitch. I've done, but this is where my responsibility ends and yeah. over to you. And so the know. same thing with the players. It's the lack of responsibility. I don't know why it annoys me so much, but they, like, they've got, like, Aubameyang was a top tier striker in Europe not long ago. I don't think of him as that all of a sudden anymore. I don't know. It's weird. Like Tierney is, I think, probably their best player now. The only one in that entire squad who anyone in the top four would buy. Arsenal are not a top four club, nowhere near it now. I think someone would take Smith Rowe in a kind of prospective way. Well, yeah, like they, sure. would, they would look at him and, and try and mould him. And I, I really like him. I think he's a good player. But I I wonder whether... Uh, it feels like Arsenal's a place where your reputation soars very, very quickly. I think of... Um, do you remember the start that Lucas Torreira made to life in, in North London? He, he had a couple of good games. And all of a sudden, he gets Patrick Vieira's chant. And they're building statues outside. And he's this great player. And then... He's never seen of it ever again. It feels like that happens again and again and again. It's kind so of sad, plans. though, isn't it? Because that, like, it would be funny if they built a statue of him at that photo at Disneyland. Slightly <laughs> like ever. The suggestion there really is that Arsenal are so desperate for a a, a a midfielder that they can treat in that way. That after two good games, of a new player's arrival, you know, as someone who was uh, rated highly before he arrived. In a way that's quite sweet, and uh, it's uh, it makes me feel sympathetic towards. Uh, Towards fans who have to put up with what they put up with, and Bayern. I was I was going to say before as well, like Bayern leaving. I know Bayern hasn't for a long time been one of the better players in the team, but he's been there for an awfully long time, and presumably was an extremely important member of the dressing room. Um, someone who, you know, was one of the last players at Arsenal. Maybe that's maybe that's unfair, but certainly for me as, a, as an external observer, uh, one of the last players who really represented, you know, symbolised what Arsenal were to me. Uh, was you know wrapped up with the culture of the club, and has now gone to Real Bet- Real Betis, right? Presumably because he thinks he can 
get into the Spain squad more easily. I think he just wants to play regularly. But I, I don't, I'm not sure I agree. Like I, I think back to, JJ was talking about like locking players in a room and you know, having them settle the differences. And okay, that, that era is gone. There was a moment a few yeah, years ago I don't ago think you should do that. I think um, Meza, the, Arsenal lost away from home or something and Meza Ozil had, had a particularly disappointing game. Full-time whistle goes and he's kind of, he trudges off down towards the tunnel. And Pele Matisaka grabs him and say, no, you're going over to the fans. It's like the kind of, it's the, the symbolic no-no that you must never, um, never not do at the end of a, um, an away game. And you think, okay, it's a kind of, it's a small issue, but if that were to happen this season, who's the player that grabs the, you know, the petulant playmaker and says, no, you're going to go and do this? Because whether we think these things matter, they matter to fans who travel to games and they help form opinions. And also that helps set a mood around a club. And you need these guys that have a little bit of, who are willing to be unpopular with teammates or are willing to, to have a bit of a shout or a, to point fingers. And I, every, anytime you bring that up, it feels like a hackneyed argument saying, oh, you know, you, just, you, you want an enforcer from, you know, the 1980s just going to hack everybody to pieces. No, but you need a bit of accountability and you don't get that from Granit Xhaka with his sort of making faces and shouting and getting unnecessary red cards, not leadership. They didn't have that much at Manchester United before Fernandez arrived. Either. There, was a, there was a period similar to Arsenal's kind of post-glory period where they were, they were missing a player like that too. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The break is finished. And let's discuss Billy Gilmore. He's really good. You think he's really good. Now, I watched the uh, Scotland game, sort of, in the pub with you on Saturday. Moldova, indeed. And it was only 1-0, Scotland are rubbish. Uh, but it was interesting to watch them. And at one point, you threw your entire drink at the ceiling. You punched a man in the face and you said, Bill Gilmore is good. That's what you said. And I said, hey, calm down. Calm down. You've injured that man. You sent him to the A&E. He's dead now. It was Granit Xhaka. I was teaching him. <laughs> it was Granit Xhaka. Uh, but you were right. What you then said, though, was very interesting to me. This is the reason it's in the podcast band today. What you said was that, uh, uh, and given he's so good, doesn't that really tell you something about how amazing Chelsea's team is? Because the level is just up and up and up and up and up again. I think it's something to do with this standard of international football, perhaps, as well. Is that Gilmer can come in as, a, I think he's 19 uh, I should double check that he comes into the Scotland team and pretty much ran that game for Scotland 
at that age, so so new to the team, clearly on a level above a lot of the players that... He's 20. Well, I apologise. And he basically ran that game as a 20-year-old boy slash man, boy man. Billy Gilmore is a, a boy man. And yeah, so that's the thing. So he couldn't get near the Chelsea team. He can get in it as a, for like the easier games, you know, and he got into it more as the season went on because obviously he's still learning and um, has to go to Norwich to get a game where again, he seems to be doing very well early on. It's very early, but he seems to be doing very well at Norwich. And a couple of things that come out of it, I think is a good advert for Scottish players going to England when they're really young to get good levels of coaching because Scotland don't produce very many great players anymore. That has been a problem for a long time. Gilmore went, he was, I think he was at Rangers when he was young and he went down to Chelsea very, maybe 16, really young, but has obviously been coached so well because there was a point in that game against Moldova, which I said, I think I said to you that you could see the way he was defending. There was a bit of a turnover and Moldova were running at Scotland and they had the back four out of shape and Gilmore was defending in the middle of it. It was basically it. It was 5v, whoever the people were running at them. Really hard to defend. And his body shape and positioning was perfect, exactly how you should do it in that situation, to show the ball in a certain way, just just to try and affect play without being able to do it. And the move came down to nothing really early. I don't think they even reached the 18 yard line. And it was that's the kind of thing that you get from that must be a bit of natural intelligence from Gilmore, understanding the game that people some people just understand it better than others. But great coaching. But yes, Chelsea's squad is so good that that kind of a level of player who can run an international game isn't anywhere near their squad. Maybe we can meld this, Seb, with rash conclusions, which is the part of the today's podcast where we make rash conclusions. Do you think uh, Chelsea will win the league? Yes, but that's not really what, what I meant by rash conclusion. That feels more like a sort of a sound, logical, even-minded conclusion. Oh, do you want to say things you don't think? Well, I, I thought it was a chance to be contrary and controversial and, and provocative. Oh, you know, I feel like we, right. we don't yeah. do enough to attention seek we don't provoke podcast. enough people no not really well done a pretty good job of provoking granite jacket today but in which case tell me about your rations my rash conclusion is and not in the xg sense that everyone's talking about i think wolves are good that's my big provocative opinion which actually when i hear it out loud for the first time doesn't really sound that provocative. it's very dull it is quite boring, <laughs> and, it, and also i agree i mean um, so, or how good? Six good. Top eight Seven. good, I think. Top eight? Yeah. So now you've basically, you've put Everton and... <laughs> you've put Everton and Wolves in the top eight. No, no, I which, see, this is... This is which a, leaves are, space... Is it Leicester or Arsenal not finishing in the top eight? I said Everton would be aiming for the top eight. I'm not sure no, Leicester no, you, get you that. Will. I don't think Arsenal... Well, I don't think you eight. did say that, but that's fine. No. Okay, we'll tell you what then. Rash conclusions. Give me your top eight in order. That's fun. That's not fun. That's as, it's fun. That's it's fun for me. Down the middle and I like the it. No, 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 no. It's fun for me. Let's go. Here we go. I shall go. I'm going to stall for time. Stalling for time. For time. For time. We've well, already time, said Chelsea. Chelsea. Wrong. Manchester wrong. City. Wrong. Manchester United. Wrong. Wrong. No. Liverpool. Wrong. Manchester wrong. United. <laughs> Leicester. Wait. Wait. Seb, can you start again? Because I was shouting wrong at you. No, because the second time I do it, you just keep shouting wrong or boring. No, 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 just start. You'll make faces. I know this. This is no, a kind no, of insight to what our Zoom I promise I won't. Like. I pro- people, people are at this point, the listeners that don't like me as much are going, I wish that guy would shut up. So I thought, okay, let's give it to them. You go again. JJ, you go. You take the mantle while I grasp it. <laughs> I know what's coming. <laughs> One, Chelsea. Two, I think, might be Manchester United. Then I think Manchester City 
if not Manchester United. So Man City, Man United, I would swap around. Liverpool fourth. Um, who are the other teams? Leicester will probably come up there. Uh, I think, oh God. I don't care about the rest of them. It gets pretty desperate. Spurs maybe that. below that? Yeah, maybe Spurs in, in, <laughs> in seventh or something. Leicester, uh, and then... Uh, someone else. Someone else. Just, I'll tell you it's not. Yeah. Arsenal. You both think Arsenal will finish outside the top yeah. eight? I think they're going to have a change of manager and that will maybe change how things go at some point. I don't think Ted is a bad manager, or do I? I think uh, that it, it's just an awful mess. If it was a football manager save, you would just start again. <laughs> you would. And you would buy different players and you would manage games in different ways. Probably like manage a different team. Yeah, like, 100%. In a different country. Yeah. Yeah, Go and manage PSG or Man United and learn how to play the game first. And then, yeah. <laughs> then you can do a harder save. That's how I play football manager. You play one of the good teams, you learn how it goes, and then you start again with a bad team. Or you win the Champions League with Aberdeen. Yeah, and then you take three men into a room and you beat, <laughs> you beat <laughs> someone say, up. I don't think Granite Xhaka should be beaten up in a locker room. <laughs> Nor do I you think say that, that though. Arteta is a terrible manager, but I do think they, they might come a point where they have to change that to Arsenal. And then they would probably finish in the other slot outside of Europe again. All right. Well, you know, is that is that what you wanted by rash conclusions? You got any others to make, Seb? Oh, no. I, uh, Wolves are good. I Wolves think are Wolves good. are good. Raul Jimenez, once Raul Jimenez yeah. scores his first goal, he'll Wolves score will loads of goals. They're really missing Pedro Neto, though he's injured for a long time and he is their top, top, top tier sure. player. Sure, sure. And Podence. I like Podence. Yeah. I think he's a very good player yeah. as well. Yeah. Podence, I've always thought Podence sounds like the title of a Jane Austen book, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And the front cover has got someone sort of in a in a morning suit, you know, with with one leg on a on a fence, gazing out yeah. into the distance, Podence, <laughs> and then sort of rolling English countryside. Podence. Yeah, it does. I'd read that book. Uh, right, Seb, just tell us a bit about what happened in Brazil and Argentina before we finish, because it was quite funny. I'm sure people will have seen the videos, and I'm sure people will have heard this on the other podcasts that they listen to, or indeed the news, but. Um, Seb's going to tell you here, and he told me earlier that he'll tell you better than you will have already heard it. Yeah, so if you if you just imagine every negative cliche about South American football and distill it into a situation, this is kind of mm. what it looks like. So eight minutes into Argentina, Brazil, played in Sao Paulo, uh, some members of the Brazilian health ministry invaded the pitch to... Firstly, to stop the game, but then seemingly to try and deport Giovanni Lothelso, Emiliano, Emiliano Martez, and Cristina Romero. Can I stop you for a second just to say that members of the Brazilian Health Authority sounds so funny in my head. I know I've seen them and they don't dress like this, but when you say it, I imagine them in like hazmat suits with syringes on their, on their, like in their gun holster. I love it. It was actually, honestly, it was almost funnier because there was one member who... I don't know if he actually was. I, he was just a, a, a another member of the invading party mm. onto the pitch, mm. basically, who turned up in what looked like a pair of River Island jeans from 1998 and a set of government guidelines tucked into his back pocket. It's really strange if you can find it. Anyway, so when we're recording this on Monday afternoon, uh, it's still a little bit unclear as to what happened or why these Brazilian health people couldn't do something before the game kicked off. Their version of events was that uh, the Argentinians locked... 
I don't know. I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> this story is probably going to change. Probably already changed by the time you're listening to it. So, you know, there you go. Have a bit of fun. Look it up for yourself when they came on the pitch. The Brazilian health people. Thank you, Seb. Uh, right, that's the end of the podcast now, I believe. Uh, JJ Bull, thank you. Thank you. And Seb Sefaplor, thanking you. Thank you, Joe Devine. We'll be back next week with more. Uh, but for now, au revoir, guten tag, and uh, ciao. <laughs> the Athletic. <laughs>